Keep those hands up. We got three over here. Anybody else? We're good. I heard, before I begin, I heard that uh, the Dunn's House Gathering, um, I love this idea. They have decided that they're making a project out of having that book read before the next house gathering, which is about eight days from now. So uh, they are planning on reading that book within the first two weeks. They've got eight days to go. And then they're coming together at the house gathering Monday night uh, at their house gathering two Mondays from now. And they're going to share and discuss that book and share that vision together. That's exactly what this is about, is us binding together in faith and uh, supporting one another in that common vision. It's wonderful to fast and pray. You can do it by yourself, but there's a corporate anointing when we come together in unity that causes an exponential increase, hallelujah, in the results and in the power of fasting. You want to see the enemy let go of barriers and restrictions that he has held. Praise the Lord. Just keep your eyes on the prize. Amen. So um, take that book, read it, get it uh, down uh, into your heart. It'll bless, it'll encourage you, it'll help give you a focus. Prayer that connects. Praise the Lord. We're ready? Rolling? Good. Prayer that connects. We have been sharing 10 <clears throat> out of uh, Leviticus chapter um, 16, 17. 16, thank you. Um, ten preparations that God gave Aaron for him to come into the most holy place in prayer and receive the Lord's atonement. And so we've been going through these ten preparations. We've shared six of them. We're going to take a look at number seven this morning. Let me just say this to you. Um, these ten preparations... I know they were done back in the Old Testament. They were highly ritualistic and symbolic. But what they did is they represented God's demand upon our life for holiness, that God has called us to be holy. I am holy. The Bible says, therefore, be holy. So we don't do these rituals that Aaron did. What we do, however is God's requirement of holiness has not changed. So we practice in our relationship with Jesus the reality of what these ten rituals represented. So that's what we are looking at. The, um, the first one was appropriating God's grace. Then the second one was putting on righteousness. The third one was putting on truth and honesty. The fourth was being cleansed by the word. The fifth was worshiping God. And the sixth that we shared two weeks ago was separate yourself unto the Lord. And uh, when you pray. Number seven is found in Leviticus chapter 16. And I'm going to read verse 18 and 19. Then Aaron shall go out to the altar that stands before the Lord and make atonement for it, and he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat, the animal sacrifices that were sacrificed unto the Lord for sin, and he shall put it on the horns of the altar. Everyone say, horns of the altar. Now, we don't have horns of the altar here at our church. Most churches today don't. But we're going to get into this morning looking at 
what the horns of the altar were. But just know that he's in the most holy place, and there's one thing in the most holy place. It's the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of that box that was overlaid with gold, the Ark of the Covenant set on top of that box the mercy seat made of pure gold. And at the corners of the mercy seat were horns that came out that represented, that looked like horns. And so here he is saying, you shall take that blood that was sacrificed for the removing of sin and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times. Everyone say seven times. Seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it for the uncleanness of the people of Israel. The seventh requirement for entering God's presence is we must have faith in the blood. We must have faith in the blood. Now, God explains the significance of the blood sacrifice in the next chapter in Leviticus 17 and 11, where God says this, the life or the soul of every living thing is in its blood. So I myself, says the Lord, have assigned it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives, for the blood makes atonement by means of the life. So let me just take a moment, make sure you get this picture. God says, when I created everything, I made everything and designed and engineered everything so that its soul, its life, is actually in its blood. Now, I'm looking at your body this morning, and your soul is looking back at me through your body. But if you ever wondered, where is my soul? People pray, they kind of put their hands on the mid, oh Lord, uh, where is it in my brain? Where is it? The Bible says your soul literally inhabits your blood. Adam was laid out on the ground. God rolled him up out of red clay, stretched him out. He's laying lifeless on the, on the ground. And the Bible says God animated him by breathing into him the breath of life. So God breathed his spirit into Adam. And where did that breath go? You say, well, it filled his lungs. God had all the ingredients sitting in Adam for blood to congeal and to liquefy and to begin to move. It needed the animating work of the breath of God. Where does the oxygen that you breathe go? Where does it end up? It goes into the cells of your blood. Blood carries oxygen throughout your body. Your spirit, your soul, animated by the breath of life, by the breath of God, dwells in your bloodstream. So Leviticus 17 says the life is in the blood. That's why if you drain enough blood, a person's body will die. The life will leave them if enough blood vacates their body. Can you say praise the Lord if you're beginning to get a little picture of this? Hallelujah. All right, so he says, I have given you these, this system of animal sacrifices of these innocent animals, their blood will be poured out because it represents the soul given in payment through the agency of the blood of that creature. Now, <clears throat> this faith in the blood speaks of two 
powerful elements of the atonement. How many, is there anyone here knows what the word atonement means? I'm sure you've heard it once or twice, certainly. The word atonement is the word that describes how Jesus saved us. And if you think of the word atonement, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T, you can see it as a contraction of three words, at one meant. Atonement takes us who were separated from God and brings us back into oneness. Atonement is God's work doing whatever was necessary so that we who were separated can be brought back into oneness. That's the atonement. So there's two great features of the atonement that are represented by our faith in the blood. And God taught Aaron and all of the priests after him and all of Israel and every Jew to understand the atonement is in the blood. The healing, the salvation, the forgiveness of sins, all in the blood and in the blood sacrifice. The first of these two great principles of the atonement in the blood is this. Faith in God's willingness to accept the blood payment. Now, picture Aaron. He's taking the blood of the sacrifice that was offered up on that altar. He takes it into the most holy place. He sprinkles seven times, specifically on the horns of the altar. Now, Aaron knows that the blood of this particular poor creature, this animal, that had nothing to do with me or my life or my need to be forgiven, this blood can't possibly remove sin which is a condition flowing in my veins, in my soul. For if I have to give my own blood to vacate sin out of my body, I'll be dead in the process. Do you understand? So God said, I'm going to allow a substitution. And the reason you're going to be forgiven is because I'm God and I decide to forgive you. God is training Aaron and every other person in Israel, so that by the time the Lamb of God comes, everyone knows the blood takes away sin. God is willing to take your sin away when he sees the blood. Remember in Egypt, when I see the blood, I will pass over. The death angel will not drop down on your house when he sees the blood over the doorway of your house. So Aaron and all of Israel understood God is willing to accept the blood payment because it represents the life or the soul that was carried in that blood. So the soul is being offered up through the blood. We don't have an ability to extract the soul or the spirit component out of the blood. So the blood gets offered because it's got the soul in it. Now the animal is obviously dead. So Aaron's figured this much out. This is symbolic. Dead blood can't bring me back to life. But God said, I'm willing. I am willing to receive the blood payment. Just do this in faith unto me. There's the faith. You've got to believe God is willing to forgive you when he sees the blood. 
Their forgiveness in the Old Testament was given to them by God through their faith on credit. God said, I'll, I'll, let, you, I'll let you set up an account with me. If you'll enter into this practice of offering up in the high priest and the atonement once a year, if you'll do this, I'll set up an account. And by faith, I will forgive you of your sins. Praise the Lord. So God himself assigned the animal's blood as an alternate to represent the sinner's life. I myself, it says in Leviticus 17, 11, have assigned it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. But God knew that the innocent animal's blood wasn't going to remove sins. And so in faith, they went through that process and believed God looking forward to the promised sacrifice. Do you remember when uh, Abraham was up on Mount Moriah and he had his son and he was about to sacrifice him and God stopped him? He said, no, wait. And the next thing God said was, I have provided myself a sacrifice, which has a dual meaning. I have provided a lamb. Jesus was not the lamb of men like every other sacrifice, he was God's lamb. God came down to that hill on Calvary and said, I've brought the lamb. Just like hundreds of years before, he was on that hill when Abraham was there and said, keep your son. I've brought the lamb. Hallelujah. So they had faith that the, that the blood and the life in the blood would make the payment for the sins of the soul. So it was ultimately faith in God's willingness to accept that blood payment, and they looked ahead to Jesus who would come. Which brings us to the second important truth in faith in the blood, and that is faith in the ability or power of Jesus' blood to give a new life to you. So the first one is it dealt with God's willingness to forgive your sins. But you're still dead. You're just forgiven. But now God needs to bring you back to life because sin killed you. And so the second thing is that the blood of Jesus will bring you back to life. It will give you new birth. Hallelujah. Now the blood of animal sacrifices, just like the sinners that those animal sacrifices represent, ceased to carry life once it left the body. When the, when the blood of the particular bull that was offered or the goat that was offered upon that altar, when that blood left the body, that blood died. The, whatever element of life was in it left the blood. And it's important to understand that. So that it literally is impossible to give life back to the sinner who is allowing himself to be represented by a blood that dies the minute it's offered up. You could see the predicament. God could say, I forgive you, but he could not bring them back to life with substitutionary sacrifices. But God the whole time knew I'm just creating a symbol because I myself, the eternal Father, the I Am, will step and condescend from my eternal glory into the world as the Son 
I will come into the world as the Lamb of God. I will offer myself. I made you. I created you. I did it because I love you and I will save you. I will redeem you. Although you died in your sins, I will bring you back to life. Hallelujah. Why would God do that? Because he loves us. He said, I will, I will take the form of blood. That is exactly what the incarnation is. The eternal land said, I will take the form of blood. That which was begotten in the womb of Mary was supernaturally installed in her. The blood that ran in that baby's veins had human and divine properties blended together. Nothing like that had ever existed before. The blood of the eternal I am and the blood of a human shared those same cells together. He was the first of what we have come to call the new creation. A new species that has never before existed. And he was brought into the world for one purpose. To put him on that altar and drain his blood for the sins of mankind. Did you hear that? Yes. Jesus was born crucified. Jesus entered the world as Isaiah 53's suffering servant. His entire life was projected at the hill called Calvary. That was the very purpose of his creation, to fulfill that prophetic word. So therefore, in the Old Testament, Aaron and all of those people who would go through the atonement year after year, they died in faith waiting for a blood that would bring them back to life. So when they left this world by means of death, instead of being dropped in to Gehenna or dropped into the lower resources of hell, they went to a place that the Bible calls paradise or Abraham's bosom. Uh, you could think of it as the upper compartment of hell where things weren't quite as bad. It was called paradise because there was no torment, there was no torture, there was fellowship, and those souls were there suspended in awareness, alive, waiting in Abraham's bosom. Now, you can use your imagination if you want. You're free to whatever they did all those years. I have no idea. Um, but they were there, and they existed. Because God made the soul, and please don't come up and, and uh, pick a fight with me after the service for saying this to you, but unlike your dogs and your cats and your parakeets or whatever have you, the soul of humans was designed to be eternal, to live forever. Either live in a state of death because of sin or live in the presence of God. Hallelujah, because of life. And so those souls, when the blood drained from their body, those souls went to paradise and sat and waited, hallelujah, for a blood that would reanimate and bring them back, hallelujah, to life. Can you say amen? amen. So there they waited for their Messiah, the Lamb of God, whose blood, hallelujah, did not die when it left his body. Now here's where, if you, if you brought at least one shout with you this morning, you're, I'll just give you a little heads up. You're coming up on the part where you could 
you could release your one shout, Woo! glory to God, to the Lord. And so, there is Jesus. He's hung up as the Lamb of God on Calvary's cross until enough of his sinless, death-defeating blood drained from his body that that body died. Jesus could not be put to death. He could not die. He says to, he doesn't flinch. He's not nervous. There's no quake in his voice. He says to Pilate, you can't take my life. I lay it down. He put himself in the hands of the priests who sacrificed him using the swords and spears and tools of the cruel Romans. So Jesus hangs until enough of that blood is drained from his body. But unlike you and I and every sinner and every animal that represented the sinners that were offered up, as Jesus' blood leaves his body, it doesn't die. If I was there knowing what I know now, I, as I watch Jesus die, I'd be watching that blood, realizing the absolute miracle that blood soaked into the sinful earth, but it contained and retained the soul, the spirit of the Lamb of God. Jesus' body died, but Jesus did not die. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Shout glory to God. So that blood in which his soul resided could not die. Jesus picked up his body, hallelujah, rose from the dead, gathered the believers out of Abraham's bosom, carried his blood up to heaven, where just like Aaron, centuries before, he marches in to the Holy of Holies in the temple in heaven. For the Bible says that the tabernacle was patterned after the temple in heaven. And so everything that was built in Moses' tabernacle was patterned off the real. Jesus went into the real temple. He went up before the real ark. And there were the horns, somebody say the horns of the altar, protruding, extending from the mercy seat. And he took his blood and probably seven times with his finger sprinkled his blood on the horns of the altar. Only this time, this is not blood without a soul in it, without a spirit. Hallelujah. This blood is alive. It's living. And he has emptied and vacated Abraham's bosom. Living proof that that blood is alive. Those people were resurrected and brought up into the presence of God. And uh, Abraham's bosom or paradise collapsed, folded up. It's been crickets ever since. Nobody's ever gone there. Now, let me talk for a moment about the horns of the altar. God said to Aaron, I want you to go in. I want you to, with your finger, seven times. Think of the intimacy of using your finger, blood on your finger, seven times, sprinkling those horns on the altar. This is called faith in the blood. Faith in the blood. One of the things I've learned about faith, so far as God is concerned, is he gets specific about what he tells you to do. He's usually not operating in generalities. When God calls you to use your faith, he usually specifies exactly what he wants you to do. When were those sins lifted off the people? the seventh 
time the blood hit the horns of the altar, that is when the mercy came out. If you and I stop at three, four, five, even six, what we have believed for up to that point becomes jettisoned and it falls short and fails. If God said seven times, then seven times it was. The forgiveness happens on the seventh. So when the Lord gives you specific instructions, do it. Mary said, whatever he says to you, do it. Not do something like it, but do it. The Lord is specific. Somebody say, praise the Lord. How much more specific is he going to be with his own blood, filled with his life, filled with his soul and his spirit? Praise the Lord. The horn in uh, Greek culture and in, uh, excuse me, Hebrew culture represents power. The horn was a symbol of power. And the horns on the mercy seat or on the altar represent God's power. Specifically, God's power extending out through his mercy. So the horns of the altar speak to us. They say that God's power is offered as an extension of his mercy. You cannot have God release power into your life through any other way other than coming and receiving it as a function of his mercy. If you try to work for it, if you try to earn it, if you try to purchase it. What happened when the sorcerer in the book of Acts, Simon the sorcerer, tried to pay Peter for the power to lay hands on people to impart the Holy Spirit? Peter received it through mercy. You and I receive it through mercy. It's faith in the mercy of God. It's believing that Jesus poured his life out on the horns of the altar. He assigned his blood, his life, to that place where power comes forth. So when Aaron went in to the most holy place and began to sprinkle blood on the horns of the altar, he was dealing with the power of God. So it's not just faith in God's willingness to forgive you, but it's faith in the power he has to forgive you. When the devil comes and starts accusing you, when you look at your own uh, habits and your own circumstances and you begin to doubt that God has sent his power into your life, remember, it's on the basis of mercy. God has done it because not Aaron. Aaron could mess up. Not you. You could mess up. Jesus, who cannot, did not, never will mess up, entered heaven perfectly, flawlessly applied his blood to the mercy of God on that mercy seat. It's done. There's no opportunity to mess up. There's no opportunity to get it wrong. It's been right, and the Bible says he gave his blood, died once for all. Every man, woman, and child born to Adam's race retroactive back to the very beginning, advanced forward over 2,000 years. People say, how can the blood of a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago wash my sins away? Today, in the 21st century, because unlike the blood that leaves every sinner's body, it dies and loses its power, and that soul leaves and goes to its place. Jesus' blood Speaks. Jesus' blood 
is talking. His blood is alive in heaven, filling heaven with his intercession, speaking before the throne, speaking from the throne of God to you and I every day, talking and saying, she is redeemed. He is forgiven. My power is extended. My mercy is commanded over their life. They have been given authority and the right to bind the devil and to overcome him. Everything that Jesus himself rose with is given to us through the blood. And while on the earth there may be arguments, even in your own mind, about whether you have that authority or whether you don't, faith is what allows you to take what God has put on the table for you. It has been done. He has given you that authority. He has given you that power. It's there. When you pray, stop listening to what everyone else says. Stop listening to what your own mind and your own body is saying to you. Get up in the heavenly places. Open up your Bible and read what the Word of God says. In heaven, there is a blood that has made you a new creation and it's talking about you right now. The blood of Jesus is speaking on your behalf. It's talking on your behalf. And the blood of Jesus isn't trash talking you. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Somebody say amen. amen. Hebrews 12, 24 through 25 says, We are come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. If you want to be prepared to pray and hear from God, talk with the blood. Speak what the blood speaks. Let the blood of Jesus form your prayer. Let what the blood of Jesus has done form your petition, your declaration, your praise. I'll tell you, if you begin to pray through the blood of Jesus and agree with what Jesus' blood is not only done, but is speaking right now, you will see the results. When you and I, through faith in the blood of Jesus, are right with God, God's power comes out. That's why the blood was put on the horns. When you and I are right, when we're aligned with the blood, the power comes out from the mercy of God and fills our life. His blood is yours. You might be thinking, this sounds fantastic. This is fabulous. But I look at myself and I think of myself, I'm not worthy of the blood. I'm not sure that, the, that Jesus has given all of this to me. I can see the Apostle Paul. Well, then you're not really looking at the Apostle Paul. Because he was killing Christians and trying to destroy the work of God. Hallelujah. You, you might say, well, I, I have this one Christian that they are she or, or he is such a model. Yeah, but you don't see them when they mess up. After they've gotten saved, they sin. First John says, if we say we have no sin, we are a liar. Hallelujah. Yes, under the blood, born again. You can fall flat on your face, have and likely will again. And sin, the blood keeps talking. Amen. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The blood is speaking better things than that of Abel. The blood of Abel calls for vengeance. The blood of Abel says you were wrong. You deserve judgment. And the blood of Abel is correct. But God's blood, the blood of Jesus is better than correct. 
it's full of mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God we, have, we are not standing before God as correct. We are standing before God as loved. Amen. The blood made a way for God's love to touch us and bring us back to Him. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. I'll tell you, I get excited about it when I think about it because I see nothing but hope for you and I. When I look at the blood of Jesus, I see hope. I see a future. I see an unstoppable life. No matter what Satan can dream up against you and I, he can think he's got his foot on your neck and you're never going to get up again. You've left church. You've You've, uh, you've uh, said bad things about the body of Christ. You say, I'm fed up with all this. And the, the devil's got his foot right on your neck. You think there's no coming back from this. There's no coming back. But the blood is still speaking. Peter denied Jesus. Many of the disciples failed and flopped. I'm sure that many of them ran off. The blood will bring you back. The blood will bring you back. Glory to God. Let the devil have his, his uh, foot on your neck. You start speaking what the blood is speaking. I guarantee you, the devil's going to do exactly what he did to Jesus after 40 days of fasting. And Jesus simply didn't rebuke him. He didn't fight with him. He didn't say, get out of here. He just simply said, it's written. I'm standing with the word. The Bible says, the devil departed. Amen. He won't stay. If there's a chance of getting you to turn away and not believe the word of God, he'll hang around. But the minute that you have made it clear, I'm standing on what the Word of God says. I'm standing in faith. I will not be moved. He'll go bother somebody else. He'll cross over to the other side of the street. He'll leave you. He won't stay where people have made a stand in faith on the Word of God. And so if you're wondering, there just might be a little thought in the back of your mind. Is this blood that the preacher is preaching about this morning. Is this blood really for me? I offer to you one verse. Luke 22 and verse 20. Jesus raises the cup at the Last Supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. You might say, Jesus... Jesus owed that blood to the Father because against him the penalties were made. But Jesus didn't come to correct. Jesus came to love. And the only way he could love sinners was to give us the blood. Somebody say praise the Lord. He came to recklessly, powerfully, beautifully, and with deliberation, give all. And gave his blood. Gave his blood to the most terrible of sinners. Gave his blood to the most ignorant. The most foolish. And I just think about it. I, I, I wonder how in God's name did I get saved? How did I, I'd never been in church. Never raised in church. I didn't know any Christians. How did I get saved that night alone in my bed? The blood was speaking. I thought, who knew me? Who could be praying for me? But heaven was praying. The blood of Jesus was praying. The blood of Jesus. I'm telling you, you might think my daughter's gone off the deep end. My son is gone. They, there are no Christians to witness to them. What's going to happen? The blood. 
every single soul was thought of and represented in the blood. Believe it today. We serve a God whose love is miraculous. He's already made the way. The blood is speaking. The blood is speaking. You want to be successful as a Christian? You want to be successful as a church? Learn how to pray in the blood. Learn how to have faith in the blood. Hallelujah. Take it first for your own life and then go out and export it to others. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning. Glory, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The blood speaks better things than that of Abel.